0: Welcome to the study of God's word recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's word. I do get to share the word of God tonight and I've titled my message, God's Faithful Pursuit. And then, you'll notice up under it, these words, yada, 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 right? Now, I know to us English speakers, yada, yada, yada is an expression we use for meaningless talk, meaningless chatter, this boring, empty talk, but we're going to discover together tonight that... Yada, for the Hebrew speaker, speaks of something very deep and very profound. And so we are going to be in the Old Testament, book of Hosea. And the main text that we'll source from is going to be Hosea chapter 6. And we're going to be going through verses 1 through 7. So as you guys are turning there, I'm going to pray and just invite the Lord into the message. And, um, you know, before I do that, I just... uh, you know, one of the I had a conversation with Ian today, and as we were talking about Yada, he he even told me, you know, um, he's done a message in the past on Yada, and he did it from this perspective of worship, and uh, it's a really rich word as we're going to discover. But tonight's worship was just really fresh and good. You know, that thousand hallelujahs, and as I was listening to the worship songs, you know, one of the songs was just talking about He, he reigns, and another one was talking about. He's to enthrone, right? And, and all of those words speak to a kingdom, speak to a king. And we're going to get to talk about that tonight, you know. So the, I was just moved by worship, and uh, um, I'm thankful for that. So let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and Lord, I know that, you know, in this room, everyone comes in, you know, from their week, and we're thankful to be here. And we come in in, in, in different ways. Uh, Some come in just ready to receive from the Lord. Some come in barely, like, man, they just made it. Uh, But Father, you know. You know every hair on their head. You know what's going on in their life. You love them. You know them. And you care for them. And each of us are here, Father. And out of all the places we could be on the earth, here we are. And so, Lord, we dedicate this time to you. We thank you for your word. And, Lord, I just ask that you use me. Um, in this section of Scripture and just this, this beautiful, beautiful section of, of the Old Testament with Hosea and just his passion, Lord. May he speak tonight, Lord. May, he, may his words speak through, through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I do want to welcome, you know, so you might be online uh, or in on the radio, and I do want to welcome you guys and welcome all of you here tonight. And um, so if you're not already there, open your, you know, open your Bible to Hosea chapter 6 and Hosea is a minor prophet and therefore it might be kind of hard to find so if you have to use your table of contents go for it Um, I can tell you what page I'm on in my Bible but you probably don't have my Bible Um, and I'm going to be reading and teaching tonight from the New Living Translation so listen and follow along as I read God's Word this is what it says come let us return to the Lord He has torn us to pieces Now He will heal us. He has injured us. Now He will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, He will restore us so that we may live in His presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know Him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. O Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? Asked the Lord. For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, with judgments as inescapable as light. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. But like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. So if you're in the NLT, I want you to, if you write in your Bible, circle the word no that shows up two times in verse three. If you're in the New King James Bible, in verse three, your two to circle would be the word no, and then the phrase, knowledge of the Lord. Then in verse six of the NLT, circle the word no, and in the NKJV, circle the phrase, knowledge of God. And when we see the word know or knowledge in Hosea, it is the Hebrew word "yada," or a derivative of that word. And what we find when we read the book of Isaiah is that Hosea's central complaint with the people is that they don't know God. That's his complaint. And this word to know, "yada" is found all over the Old Testament. And we need to understand what it means. In most Semitic languages, it signifies sexual union, as well as mental and spiritual activity. In Hebrew, yada means more than just the possession of abstract concepts. It points to this inner appropriation, right? This making it yours. It points to feeling. It points to a reception into our very souls. And it involves both an intellectual and an emotional act. You know, for me, that brought to mind what we're, you know, how we're supposed to love God. And how is that? With all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And this word yada also denotes concern, inner engagement, dedication, or attachment to a person. Yada, yada, yada. Nah, it's yada, yada, yada. This is much more than meaningless ch- chatter, and it's definitely not boring. It is this type of knowing that is the essence of God's heart towards his people, towards you. And God knows his people, and he longs for them. This is illustrated in Hosea chapter 9 when God says, O Israel, when I first found you, it was like finding fresh grapes in the desert. You know, and when you're reading scriptures, you just kind of sit and hang out in that imagery for a second and go, man, if I'm crossing the desert and I'm thirsty and there's no water in sight and somebody hands me a handful of grapes, oh, those are going to be the best grapes on planet earth. And this is what he says. When I first found you, it was like finding fresh grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the first ripe figs of the season. And then he goes on to say, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called my son out of Egypt. And then Hosea goes on in chapter 11, uh, reflecting with, uh, with God, remembering and reflecting on what it was like growing up as people and taking care of them. Listen to what God says. He says, I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck and I myself stooped to feed him so far so good. But he, speaking of Israel, doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of them. And so if you recall from what we read in chapter 6 here, verses 6 and 7, God said, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. But like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. And this, this knowing, yada, this caring, this longing, it exists inside of covenant. This constant solidarity that is sought after, this emotional identification with God has to be protected and it has to be guaranteed. And guess what? That's exactly what God does with us through covenant. With God, all we get are guarantees. We get promises. And all the promises of God are What? Yes, and amen. We can count on them. He is always, always, always faithful. He covenants with us. So, what is a covenant? A covenant is a pact or an agreement between two or more parties. And the thing with covenants, covenants have conditions and stipulations with consequences for breaking the stipulations. And when we look at covenants, you know, like as you're growing in the Word and as you're becoming a Bible student, and you're bumping into these covenants throughout the Bible. One of the challenges with understanding the covenants is that there's more than one particular covenant in the Bible. So we must be careful to study the particularities of each covenant, as well as to see the overall general pattern of all of the covenants. And here's the key to the kingdom. That overall general pattern of all the covenants? Grace. You know, and every time I think of the word grace, I want to say it like a Scottish or Irish, I guess Scottish, Irish, I don't know, pardon me if you're Scottish or Irish, but I just hear grace, grace, that overall, it's grace, it's an, it's, that's what it is, and boy do we need it. And so if you hear anything in this, hear this, covenants represent God's constant, faithful pursuit of us, of you. He wants a committed relationship, and for us to experience His love, to experience His peace and experience his freedom. That's what I've loved about being in Hosea. You know, this was a passionate man. You know, and as we're going to see, you know, as he's, as he's dispelling and pointing out the adultery of Israel, he's, he's commissioned to marry a prostitute himself. So he's living it out. He's totally connected, yada, with God in the earthly plane. He's living it out. And it's, there's an experience And God wants us to experience His love, His peace, His freedom. We saw this word covenant in verse 7 of our reading, and it said, but like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. This one sentence speaks of the Adamic covenant and speaks to the current covenant that the people were under, that the Israelites were under during the time of Hosea, which was the Mosaic covenant. So I want to touch on these here to give us some context in where we're going. So the Adamic covenant was established between God and Adam, and it required obedience from Adam to God's command, his one command, and we know what that is. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you don't eat of it, you have eternal life. If you do eat of it, you shall surely die. And as we all know, oh, they ate. He broke it. And after Adam failed to keep the covenant, God then instituted the covenant of grace, which was the ultimate covenant of redemption found in Jesus Christ, which is the new covenant of which believers are under today. Now, I'm not God, but I try to imagine what he was thinking about when Adam broke the covenant. And I imagine it something like this. You can have your own imagination, but I imagine, you know, like him thinking Adam doesn't get it. He can't keep his side of the contract, so I'm going to intervene in a way that will provide him this ocean of grace to float around in until he does get it. It's kindness that brings repentance. I'm going to move through time and history, through a chosen people, through empires, showing mankind who I am and that my promises are sure and true. For mankind to know me, yada, to have that inner appropriation, that feeling, that reception into the soul, for them to be dedicated to me, attached to me, to truly abide in me. And here in verse 7, we see that like Adam, the Israelites have broken their covenant too. Theirs was the Mosaic covenant. Now, there were more covenants between the Adamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant And for our purposes, I want us to be aware of the one that God had with Abraham, called the Abrahamic covenant. And God's covenant with Abraham was threefold. The promised land, the promise of descendants, and the promise of blessing and redemption. And where are the Israelites right now in the book of Hosea? In the promised land, with mucho descendants, and with mucho blessing. And redemption, that's God's calling card. God keeps his promises and he's faithful in his pursuit of us. Now for the Mosaic covenant. This is the covenant God establishes with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai after he led them out of Egyptian slavery. And with it, God supplies the law that is meant to govern and shape the people of the land of Israel, the promised land. And it was at Mount Sinai that God spoke with Moses and the Jewish people excuse me, spoke with Moses and the Jewish people, renewing the covenant that he had made with Abraham. And at the same time, God gave the Jews the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments were um, this set of rules by which they should should live. And it was these Ten Commandments that set forth the principles for some 600 other laws on which they were based. So this is the Mosaic Covenant. Or sometimes you'll hear it uh, called the Law of Moses. And did the people uphold their side of the covenant? No. They had instituted a sacrificial system, and in the institution of this sacrificial system, you know what Hosea is speaking into? Is he speaking into leaders and to priests that have gone off course? And inside of this sacrificial system, you know what was meant this outer work, right, this outer work that they were constantly doing was really always about an inner work, but they didn't get it, and it was always about that inner work, you know, and so as I was just reflecting on, you know, it's, it's hard for us sometimes to imagine, you know, this sacrificial system, and I imagine being one of the priests, you know, and if you're one of the priests, and someone is bringing an atoning sacrifice, and your job is to sacrifice this lamb, the first lamb that you sacrifice is going to be a big deal. You know, and it's kind of stark, but like if you imagine slicing a throat and blood coming out of the lamb's neck, whoa. And then time goes on, right? And at Passover, just the thousands and thousands of sacrifices that the people would bring, all of a sudden I can see where the priest is just looking at this as a job duty, kind of almost considering himself a butcher of sorts. And it's just like, no, 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 no. Why is the sacrificial system set in place in the first place? To atone for your sins so that you can be in the presence of a holy and righteous God. And that outward work was always meant to point to the inner work. To stay in this posture of yada with God. And I want to clear up one last thing in regard to covenant before we get into what Hosea was dealing with. And it's this. So we, the 2022 we are in a time where our modern minds struggle with this idea of covenant. Why? Because so much of the cultural pressure that we're under dictates that our relationships should just be simply transactional. And transactional sounds something like this. What have you done for me lately? Or something like, you know, I scratched your back, now you scratch mine. But let's stick with, let's stick with what have you done for me, done for me lately? well, It doesn't play inside of a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship is not focused on whether or not the other person delivers the goods. So right now, we can all completely trash the saying, what have you done for me lately? We can just trash it. Ready? Hold your hands up and take out your imaginary piece of paper. Yep, yep, I'm talking to you. Take out your imaginary pencil and write on there, what have you done for me lately? Now crumple it up in this little ball and throw it in the trash. It's gone. A covenant relationship is one based on a solemn vow to hold up your own end of the agreement of the agreement regardless of wh- whether the other person does or not. This is the most beautiful, the most beautiful of all relationships. Why? Because it means that you can truly be known. My tears. I'm sorry. My tears. I have teenage boys, and it's just a different culture, you know. And I want them to be known inside of marriage, inside of that covenant relationship. I want them to know where it is, you know, what it is, and to experience that. So that they, so that you can truly be known, yada, known in all of your glory. But guess what? Also known in all of your depravity. In all of your shame, all of your failures, and all of your insecurities, you get the good stuff and the bad stuff. And not only known, but in all of that, you're still loved. This is the meaning of unconditional love, truly known and dearly loved. It's God's intention that we have this type of relationship with him. And the closest earthly picture that we can get of this is marriage. So when man and a woman covenant together, not based on what the other person does, but rather through for better or for worse, for richer for poorer, in sickness and in health, no matter what the marriage holds. Is that what the culture is telling you? Give it a shot, try it out. If it doesn't work, go get another one. That's not the game here, guys. So these statements for better for worse, for richer for poor, in sickness and in health they don't make any sense in a transactional relationship. These statements are meant for a covenant relationship, that place where you truly know each other and deeply love one another unconditionally. And the reason that God has designed marriage to work this way is because it displays to the world the way God loves his people. This is the very heart of our faith, guys. This is the very heart of Christianity. We don't believe that God loves us because we have done good. That would be a transactional relationship. Go for it. Strive your tail off doing works for God, and see where that gets you. It's not a transactional relationship. Rather, at the heart of Christianity is the covenant love of God. Yet the sad truth is that all of us, according to the Bible, are more like a faithless bride than a faithful one. But praise God, because He's the bridegroom, and He's faithful. He's faithful, and He forever pursues us. He looks to truly know us, yada, inside of a covenant relationship. And the book of Hosea captures this picture of marriage and covenant profoundly. And I would encourage you guys, I would, you know, I would hope that all of you, I mean, we're just going to touch on uh, you know, this, this section of Scripture, but Hosea is rich, rich. Read it. It's 14 chapters. Go for it. Soak it in. Throw on your Bible app. Go home. Listen to it. You know, you can, you can play it on your way home. Listen to it and what, uh, what's going on. Um, so it's, he, uh, Hosea captures this picture of marriage and covenant. And as Hosea is commanded by God, and this blows me away, God tells him to go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. And he's doing it, and the Bible tells us explicitly, he's doing it as an illustration of how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord, by committing harlotry through politics and through the worship of other gods. Hosea's personal fate becomes a mirror of what God was dealing with. Hosea's sorrow echoes God's sorrow. And reading through this Old Testament book, it can be a bit like an emotional roller coaster ride, as it should be. And I know that in here, I'm sure there are some of you that have dealt with an adulterous relationship. You know the consequences you know what it is to have your trust betrayed. You've felt that. You know what that's like. And then you know what it's like to try to restore that. And you know that there are some key ingredients. Whoever was, did the act has to be repentant. And then the victim has to be forgiving. And God is asking Israel for repentance. And we know that he's eternally willing to forgive. So Hosea would experience the whole drama between God and Israel in his own marriage with Gomer. And for sure this level of knowing yada what God was dealing with allowed Hosea to bring the passion to bring the words from highs and lows, giving the words of judgment in one section, because when you're reading Hosea, you go from like judgment hardcore, like, whoa, what's happening here? To then all of a sudden words of hope and restoration right in the next. Declaring as we saw in verse four of our text in chapter six, what did God say? Oh, Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? Says the Lord. What should I do with you? Ah, because of adultery, Hosea's wife, Gomer, would be cast out. And in parallel, because of adultery, God's bride Israel would have to be cast out also, cast out from the promised land. And you guys got to know, this is unique in this time of history. You know, the Israelites in the promised land amidst the Canaanites, they were surrounded by gods who were all about power, right? And if I were from another land, say the Assyrians, which we're going to talk about, and I had the god Ashur, Ashur, like, everything about asher was based on our country and if our country was winning the war and if our empire was growing how in the world would how in the world, how in the world would we ever get words like this from one of their gods we wouldn't there's no way there's no way we would get words like that why because it's 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 about their power and there's no way that they're going to to give words about their god throwing them under the bus And this is kind of what this sounds like. But we all know again that it exists inside of this covenant with God and God has this bigger plan. One of the ways Israel commits adultery is to look to earthly military power. God is king of Israel, but the king in this time, King Jeroboam II, he's not looking to God. And Hosea proclaims in chapter 8, they set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. From their silver and gold, they made idols for themselves that they may may be cut off. And guess what? They were cut off. Ultimately, they get exiled out of the land. And God does have to judge. He has to judge. Why? Because he's righteous. You know, and in children's ministry, I've been in children's ministry since 2011, and You know, there's always this topic of judgment and mercy and grace and just really kind of shaking it out and just coming to, you know, like the verse in the Bible that talks about vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Thank God for that. Like, are we really turning our vengeance over to the Lord? Because we get wacky when it comes to justice. But God has to judge because He is righteous. But it's not just the kings, it's the people too. In chapter 7, here's what God says about the people. They are all hot like an oven and have devoured their judges. All their kings have fallen. None among them calls upon me. So what's happening during this time is Assyria is emerging as an empire, crossing the Euphrates and leading expeditions into the promised land. And what does Assyria do? They compel Israel to commit to their sovereignty and pay tribute. So here's God's people in the promised land paying tribute to pagans and heathens. Well, as they're paying tribute, there are many in Israel, they don't agree with this. And the internal anarchy begins. Israel's kings and factions begin scheming and murdering. Why? So that they can be, uh, get in leadership, so they can provide their solution to the Assyrian problem. And these final kings of Israel don't go to God, but begin creating alliances an alliance with Egypt in hopes of getting back to their own sovereign state, playing politics. Well, the king of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser III, will have none of it. And he implements a new policy of conquest. He began the policy of deporting conquered populations from their homeland and placing, placing the, you know, so, sorry. He began the policy of deporting conquered populations from their homeland and of placing other exiles from distant areas in the evacuated territories, thus eliminating any effective rebellion. And this was how Israel was cast out. In 722 B.C., Northern Israel is defeated, and ten northern tribes go into captivity. God's chosen people out of the promised land. Hosea had been speaking into this as he sounded the alarm in chapter 5. Ephraim. So one of the ways that Hosea refers to Israel, he'll call Israel Ephraim or Jacob. So when you hear Ephraim, hear Israel. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept. Therefore, I will be to Ephraim like a moth and to the house of Judah like rottenness. He was letting Israel know that they were playing the harlot in politics. He says in chapter 5, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit... Harlotry, Israel, is defiled. Hosea knew that there was no legitimate king in Israel, as kingship was to be derived from divine election. These kings were emerging from violence and rebellion. Why? Because they were playing politics. And don't we, sometimes? Don't we get pulled into that temptation to play politics? It's an easy trap. Now, don't get me wrong, I know that, you know, as soon as anyone starts talking about politics, it's, it's kind of this sacred gaunt, ground. It's a hard topic to discuss. And why? Because we live in a great country. We're in the United States. We're in a place of historical prosperity. We're in a place whose very foundation has guardly guardrails. We're in a place that allows us the current freedom to even be gathered here tonight. And I love it. And I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the protection that we've had. I'm thankful for those who defend those guardrails. But I'm aware that even with godly guardrails, we can get off track. And I also know where my true loyalties lie. And hear me, believer, our loyalty is the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is our king. We are in a divine monarchy. We're not in a democracy. We're not in a republic. We are in a monarchy, guys. He is our king. We are to look to him as king while living here. And what does the Bible say? We're like aliens, foreigners. And we know that God can change the hearts of leaders and kings like he changes the paths of rivers. We know that we live in God's dispensation of time and we are to pray for our leaders and our authorities. And as we live here, as much as depends on us, what does the Bible say? live at peace with all men. But don't be wooed by politics. We have to be careful navigating through this. Yes, we have some godly um, godly guardrails in our country, but that doesn't mean we go about it in a godly way. Israel had the Ten Commandments and the 600 laws. Talk about godly guardrails. And they went off track too. And Hosea bangs his passionate drum, reminding Israel, reminding us that the Lord is our King. So Israel's looking to military power and not looking to God. This was not their only adulterous act; they also committed adultery with other gods. They were doing, they were doing. You know, like I said earlier, they had their sacrificial system, so they had their altar for God, Elohim, Adonai, Yahweh, God. But man, those guys in that you know next door. That was a really cool altar that, they, uh, that I saw over there. Hey, can you commission so-and-so to, to get the designs of that altar so we can bring that one in too? So let's, let's make some sacrifices here as well. Committing adultery. Israel had taken all the abundance that God had provided for them, such as grain, such as wine, such as oil, and dedicated it to the worship of the Canaanite god Baal. Therefore, God had legitimate reason to end the covenant and divorce Israel. And after considering it, God instead says that he's going to pursue Israel once again and renew the covenant. And this is what he says in chapter 2. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine. And you will finally know, yada, me as the Lord. And like God taking back Israel, Hosea is told to go and love his wife again, even though she commits adultery. That was another hard one in that time, time period. I mean, this was a legal issue. If you were married and your wife committed adultery, you, not only did you cast her out, you could never be with her again. So just the fact that he goes and redeems her in that culture was a big deal. But God's above it all. So she is redeemed, and she's redeemed for 15 pieces of silver. So Hosea here is the messenger for God, and his primary motive is not to announce doom, but to get the Israelites to return to God in reconciliation. You can turn with me. I'm going to read chapter 14 of Hosea. I want you to hear this. And I want you to listen to this in the context of everything that we've just gone through and the last thing that I said. Hosea is the messenger for God and his primary motive is not to announce doom, but to get the Israelites to return to God in reconciliation. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to Him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Assyria cannot save us. Yes, they're getting it. Nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to the idols we have made, you are our gods. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. The Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. My people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. O Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes from me. And in this final verse nine, let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right and righteous people live by walking in them. But in those paths, sinners stumble and fall. And I love that last verse. It's like in all of Hosea, it's just like this, this separate little verse. It's just like, whoop. hey, I'm going to make sure that this speaks to every generation. And whoever reads this in the future, let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. He wants us to understand and know his faithful pursuit. He wants you to know him. And in closing, we've talked about covenants and we've alluded to the new covenant back when we talked about the Adamic covenant. And after Adam failed to keep the covenant, God instituted instituted the covenant of grace, which was the ultimate covenant of redemption found in Christ, which is the new covenant. And that's what we're under today. Today, we're on this side of the cross. God has come in the flesh. He lived, he died, he resurrected. And then that same power of resurrection is available to each each one of us inside of the new covenant in Jesus. He gives us the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that was in Genesis floating over the void. Floating over the void, right? Bringing order. Bringing order in creation. And that's what He wants to do in your life is He wants to bring order and He wants to bring His creative power. And when Jesus came, guess What? You know what he was born under? All 600 plus of those laws. He was born under Mosaic law. And what did he say? I didn't come to destroy them. I came to fulfill them. Every jot and tittle. And he did. He lived them out perfectly to the point, to the yada that we talked about. That deep internal connection and abiding. So this covenant which brings us to God is defined as responding to the Uh, Responding internally from the heart by faith and reliance on the promises of God, resulting in an obedience that issues naturally through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when you walk with Jesus and you invite him into your life, now, it's not like the Ten Commandments written on stone. He writes the laws on your heart. It becomes an inside-out proposition, which is what he was always after from the very beginning. And that's what he's after today. Listen to this. I'm going to close with this verse. It's from John chapter 20. And I love this. I'm going to get through it without crying. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? Mary thought that he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. And then she's clinging to him. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 don't cling to me for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers, tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. And I love that. She wasn't recognizing him, right? Right. She wasn't recognizing him. And what did Jesus say? Mary. And Jesus says that to you. Whatever your name is, fill in the blank. Cal. Right? Bree. Lisa. He wants to know you. He wants that deep yada. He wants that attachment. And he's worthy of it. And so as... Worship is coming back up. You know, I want to say this. I want to say that in this knowing, one of my favorite verses, and if, if, if my time in Hosea and this exploration of Yada was only to get even more of a richness of a verse that I've always loved, it's this. When we're finally complete and with Jesus in heaven, we will know as we are known. That's what it says in Corinthians. And I've always loved that. Because our earthly relationships, we just—it's kind of hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes to to communicate and you know to not offend and all of that when we know that we want the right things. But it just sometimes it's hard to work out. But with Christ, we're going to know as we are known. And if you don't know Jesus, and you're here tonight or you're on the radio, know him. Just like I read in this last verse, if you don't recognize him, he's calling your name personally. He made you. Personally, he's calling your name. I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that resonate in your mind. I want you to hear Jesus's voice, whatever that's like. I don't know how he intervenes in that way. And just him calling your name. And all you have to do is respond into that covenant of grace that's existed from the very beginning. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.